Okay, we're recording. We have a waveform. Hooray. Yeah. No, we get Do we? We're being at <laughs> There it what? is. There, yeah. <laughs> that sounded like it appeared and then left. <laughs> <Just a minute. laughs> the clip loaded and started playing, but there was no waveform in it, so I just exited or I just stopped it and started it again. Now it's working I'm, fine. So I'm just imagining like a little over animated waveform like from a Disney <laughs> cartoon, like jumping yeah. off of Ableton and like running off of the monitor or something. Like music <laughs> notes coming to life, yes, but it's like exactly. MIDI notes and waveforms. I mean <laughs> honestly pitch that to an animation studio because that people would pay money to watch that. I feel That's like true. you could do some interesting like synesthesia type things with that. Oh too. yeah. Oh definitely. Well uh, before this, getting the waveform debacle, uh, I was going to give the pod my advice on how to eat healthy, and here it is. It's a five-ingredient recipe you can make anytime by going to the store real quick. You need fresh tomatoes, fresh cucumbers, extra virgin olive oil, salt and pepper. Chop the vegetables very fine, pour the oil over them, lightly salt and pepper them. It's fucking delicious. <laughs> It's just, so fucking good. That's salsa, John. You just invented salsa. It's not salsa. It doesn't have any onions in it. And they're not so... F- you don't, like, you don't put them in a blender or anything. You just chop them <laughs> into very small chunks and you eat yeah, it like me, a salad. Yeah, to me, you have just described half-made salsa. <laughs> I'm like, why didn't you do the other half so I can have chips? <laughs> <laughs> well, I also... I like to use little cherry tomatoes, too, so they're kind of sweet and they have that little snap when you bite them, even if they're cut. Mm. Pretty nice. Welcome to Work Stoppage, your favorite fresh snacks podcast. That's right. Uh, We're out here brought to you by HelloFresh, our new sponsors. (laughs) Yes, we have completely sold out, folks. I am not being yanked (laughs) off of the mic by a gigantic, comically large uh, hook at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. My name is John. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And we're entirely listener supported. So, well, wait, actually, we're sponsored by Big Tomato. So, uh, thank you so much for your support on the Patreon. It really does go a long way towards keeping the show going, and it's a great place to listen to our bonus content. If wait, you're not in the a new di- patron called Big Tomato. Big Tomato. <laughs> and it's a it's a agriculture lobby that wants to bring back eating a tomato in the garden with grandma. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> if we do well okay. enough, eventually all the cherry tomatoes will also become patrons. Hell yeah. So <laughs> hop in the Discord if you're not in there. If you're a patron and you need stickers, message us on Patreon. And if you want to help out the show a little bit more, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or BigTomatoLobby.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I also wanted to say make sure to jump in the Discord to do our reading group. We are getting towards wrapping up the No Shortcuts reading group. It's going to be chapters six and seven this coming Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So if you want to get in on that, you know, even just hearing the wrap up, it's not required reading. So we hope that you enjoy that. Uh, but yeah. So we're going to start as we have been with just a few quick headlines. Uh, one real brief, just a, a nice hearty fuck you to our capitalist politicians who have gotten very mad 
once again at the incredibly cool actions of the ILWU, one of the coolest unions in the United States, who successfully used a slowdown at West Coast ports uh, to pressure the uh, shipping companies into negotiating with them and actually resolving a very good contract. That, of course, made those companies, paid politicians, very angry. And so two Republican senators... Mike Crapo, whose last name is probably pronounced Crapo, but I don't care, uh, and also Senator Ted Budd, they jointly introduced a law to make uh, such port slowdowns illegal. The bill would modify the NLRA to make any slowdown whatsoever by port workers an unfair labor practice. Slowdown according to who? Yeah, well, no, exactly. That's the thing. It's like... Uh, whatever they define as a slowdown. So basically you can do like using the law to implement Taylorism where you're just like, they're not working hard enough. That's an unfair labor practice. <laughs> like this person on. didn't learn their job well enough. We're going to sue the union. Yeah. They want to change it from if you have time to lean, you have time to clean to if you have time to lean, you are going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So like, uh, look, obviously this isn't going to pass. It doesn't have the the mass support it would need right now, but like, we just wanted to mention this to once again praise the ILWU for being awesome and militant and also say fuck you to our capitalist politicians. To Bud and Crapo. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean at least just... it's the appropriately named senators. Like, it's Senator Mike Crapo and Ted Bud. Ted Bud, <laughs> which somehow sounds like a pot-smoking serial killer. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> They should start a band instead of being fucking Senator Ghouls. I would definitely buy tickets to the Bud and Crapo Blues Explosion. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes, genuinely, that would be a far healthier and more appropriate way for these two gentlemen to spend their lives than all the horrific shit they're doing in Congress. (laughs) Yeah. And in our next story, we're going to hit quick the pro uh, the ProPublica workers who unionize and we have kind of an interesting outcome here so on Wednesday the 21st just after releasing another major investigation into bribery of Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito reporters for ProPublica announced that they were unionizing the journalists are at a uh, the journalists at the nonprofit said that they love their jobs but want a union to protect them from changes in management and make their jobs even better. Management actually immediately issued a memo acknowledging the drive and committing to voluntarily recognize the union once the workers finally or once the union yeah, once the workers finalized the details of what they're looking for, which this was surprising. They did better than the Ben and Jerry. So there was that big mm-hmm. Ben and Jerry mm-hmm. story, and they took like weeks. What was it like two or more weeks to finally come out and voluntarily recognize the union? They did it I think it was like a month. It was a month? I think so. Yeah, it took a while. Cause, well, because like the, the actual guys, Ben and Jerry, like came out and immediately were like, "Hey, that's cool." But then the company, like I think Unilever, that owns uh, owns Ben and Jerry's, was like, "Well, I don't know," and they really dragged their feet. So it took mm-hmm. a while. But yeah, it was super cool to see this to see ProPublica come out and be like, "Oh, you guys are unionizing? Cool. Just let us know like when when you what you want to do, and we'll recognize that." Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, and I mean, that rocks. like. Yeah, it, it it definitely does, especially because they have over 90% support and the workers say they plan to bargain over things like staffing levels and workloads in regards to the outlets like major investigations. 
the new union um, is called the ProPublica Guild. It's an independent wall-to-wall union, which Hell is yeah. very cool. Uh, it's actually, I'm just surprised that they actually lived up to what they said they stand for. Because I mean, this doesn't happen. They so could, rare. They could be living up to what they stand for, or they could be a precariously sized nonprofit that is in the media who recognizes how bad a bunch of bad press could be for them at this crucial moment. I mean... Maybe that's just as good, and I don't want to throw any shade. Maybe there's some very kind-hearted people running this organization, but it. Sometimes I wonder, like, what the deciding factor really is that that yeah. that makes it when you get one of these cases where they're like, "All right, fuck it, we'll voluntarily recognize you." Sounds great, everybody. Especially so quickly. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I have to imagine that when the bargaining unit consists largely of some of the best, like, investigative reporters in the u.s because every (laughs) paper has defunded investigative reporting is not profitable enough Mm -hmm. i mean maybe those are not the people you want to be getting in the biggest of fights with (laughs) yeah Yeah. you could say they're kind of detail oriented (laughs) (laughs) but look hey regardless of the motivations genuinely this is this is awesome and so you know this rocks congratulations to the ProPublica workers and hat tip to the ProPublica management for actually being like the one cool management group ever. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just imagining that the they go to the bargaining table and the management's like, "Oh, we can't afford this." And then immediately someone throws a stack of papers on the table and is like, "Actually, you can." <laughs> yeah, and then they're just like, "Oh, okay, cool." And well, then it's just like the simplest bargaining ever. Moving on from uh, a company that has exceeded our expectations to one that has thrown them in a fucking ditch. Uh, (laughs) We're going to be talking about Starbucks just a little bit. And over the course of this week, we're going to see over 3,500 Starbucks workers at 150 stores led by the workers at the Seattle Roastery uh, going on strike in protest of the company's attacks on Pride. So despite the fact that countless videos have leaked, you may have seen them on Twitter, And even internal documents directing managers to restrict pride observance, the company continues to lie to the public and claim that none of that is going on at all. So the union will use the only power that they have withholding their labor to shut down the the Starbucks across the country and fight back against this bigoted and cynical attack on LGBTQ workers. And this is one of those kinds of things where... Starbucks has just gone mask off in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting that they feel like it's a a smart move for them to try and clamp down on pride uh, when they're facing this kind of union movement where Starbucks workers have proved over and over again that they're overwhelmingly politically motivated to support and are often members of the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, Yeah, I mean, they originally got a lot of notoriety for being one of the kind of lower-income businesses that had uh, transition care for trans That's people. Right. That's like a That was like a huge thing, and, it made, and people were like, oh, so this is like a trans-inclusive company. That was a lie. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to imagine that their calculus here is that they think that because, you know, the actually, like, in fact, because of the fact that so many of these workers uh, like in the the union and so many prominent union activists have been LGBTQ comrades that like that therefore this sort of action is more likely, especially given the hyper bigoted environment going on right now, that this 
by doing this that they will put more bad pressure on those union workers, like make, give, putting, mm-hmm. making a worse and worse working environment for them, making it shittier to work there, that that will impact the pro-union workers more than the backlash against their attacks on pride. Now, I don't know that that calculus is correct, sure. but I'm guessing that that's what they're betting on. I will say there was some pretty entertaining stuff that did come out this weekend because, of course, uh, you know the, the strike did already start this weekend, launched by, by the workers at the Seattle Roastery who shut it down all weekend. And then the union had a float in this, I believe it was this weekend's um, Pride Parade in Seattle, and so did Starbucks corporate who had basically no one on their float because of the fact that all the good, the pro union workers were at the union and that's pretty much all the workers in Seattle. But then people were posting all these videos of the, the float with the union workers will go by and everyone's like, yeah. And they're like cheering and like every worker needs a union. And then the Starbucks float comes by and it's just crickets <laughs> or, or people yelling, pay your workers. <laughs> so Hell that yeah. shit rocks. We love this. This is also, I just want to say like in general, like this is, I think this strike is really important mm-hmm. because like regardless of the outcome, what it is. This is such an important illustration that this is how, you know, we fight for our rights in the workplace. It's not by hoping the Democrats are going to do something for us. It's by building our organizations like Starbucks Workers United and fighting directly against the people that are fucking with us. Because, like, one individual person at Starbucks, if their manager decides, no, we're not, we're not uh, celebrating pride, that individual worker can't do shit. But 3,500 workers at 150 stores can make a big impact. And, yeah. and you know, well, and even this is point, what unions are for. Yeah. And to that point, when I was at Starbucks, I was a shift who was, you know, very supportive of, like, the trans workers and, and queer workers. And whenever I would stand up for them, I actually was the—I got in trouble. Every, like, it, the thing is, is, like— there, even with like small amounts of support, it has to be a much larger struggle. Yeah, well, and I think maybe Starbucks was also banking on the idea that, uh, you know, pride was enough of a hot button issue within their workforce that they could sow some division by trying to do this. And I think they, if that's the case, they just grossly misunderestimated how smart and with it their workers are. Yeah, they have, however, leaned into this enough to help, uh, generate attacks on the workers at least Mm -hmm. i think so far just you know verbally and uh, like on text but like there have been plenty of stuff i've seen shared with like you know bigots attacking the workers for going on strike being like oh i hope starbucks fires all of you and all you know all the all the same bullshit Mm -hmm. but i've seen a hell of a lot more in the form of solidarity from workers like showing up to see the the folks are on strike finding out why and be like oh hell yeah that rocks so uh, yeah. Anyways, fuck Starbucks. True. This strike rocks. We love to see this sort of action. This is exactly the sort of fight unions need to be having. Uh, and unfortunately, we're seeing some more unending fights uh, at Trader Joe's. Yet another company following the Starbucks scorched earth and gaslight everybody uh, form of union busting that Starbucks has exemplified so much. Uh, and so way back in January. We had talked about the fact that workers at a Trader Joe's in Louisville 
had voted, uh, 48 to 36, in favor of joining the new independent union drive at the company, which would have made them, and did make them, the third unionized location after the stores in Headley, Massachusetts, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. The company at the time immediately challenged the results of the Louisville election, attempting to overturn it, uh, claiming that the workers had, had made, had, quote, interfered with a free and fair election, end quote. And their reason for that is that they had very enthusiastic conversations with fellow workers about unionizing. Oh, no. You can't be doing <laughs> that. You can't Which be a, sub- a cheerful, informative face. Which somehow prevented a free and fair election. So it's like these are obvious nonsense, frivolous objections with no grounding. But it's following the same Starbucks, Littler Mendelssohn, Morgan Lewis style mm-hmm. of bullshit make everything take forever, drag everything out as long as possible to try and discourage pro-union workers and force them out of the store. And so back in May, four months after the election, the NLRB finally got around to reviewing the objections and said, oh yeah, no, these are bullshit. Uh, These are fake. We will certify the election. Uh, And now Trader Joe's, though, has once again appealed the NLRB's ruling to the higher level, claiming that the NLRB, quote, failed to apply appropriate legal standards, end quote, which like just means you didn't rule the way I wanted to. And that's illegal. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, they are kind of showing their hand in that way because they expect that the only voice that should be heard is theirs, that if they are against the union. That should be the only information that the workers get. And any discussion otherwise, they should be able to squash without any, you know, uh, recourse by anyone. Sure. And also, that's just also the cynical calculation that it's easier for them to pay lawyers to deal with this stuff for months and months and months and months at a time than it is for the workers who have to show up to these hearings, who have to, you know, deal with all this bullshit, talk to lawyers, hammer out all this nonsense, while they're also trying to work at Trader Joe's and have all the other things that are going on in their life. They're not rich. They don't have lawyers to handle this for them individually. Of course, the union provides them with lawyers, but it's far more disruptive to the union workers' time to have this delayed than it is to the company. And they get that for free because of the way the system is set up in order to favor them. And so now, you know, the clock for the company to bargain with the workers at this store without facing bad faith charges has now been reset once again Mm -hmm. while we wait for the NLRB to, as we know it will, again rule that these charges are frivolous because, of course, they are. And so it just kicks the can further down the road, even though Trader Joe's knows they're not going to win. And it's just one of the really frustrating things about the way that the legal environment works against workers. Yeah. Well, and I think that they're also doing the calculation that since this since Trader Joe's United is an independent movement, they do definitely have a lawyer, but they are starting from the, the ground floor. Mm-hmm. They are building a lot of these resources. And so it is going to be a little bit more difficult for them to actually you know, make sure it's all coordinated very well. I mean, they I'm sure they have really talented people who are doing a, a damn good job, but like I, I imagine it's still pretty difficult. Yeah, it's a huge burden. So solidarity with these workers in Louisville who are delayed once again in getting their election certified. We know you won. Uh and eventually the NLRB will finally certify it, but this is some real bullshit. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if we're going to talk about more, uh, you know, I more guess bullshit. bullshit. Yeah, that he absolutely. said, she said bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, uh, workers at Apple stores have been fighting to unionize for a long time, and a judge has now determined that Apple broke the law in regards to their union busting. Surprising no one. Rare Judge W. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, as we've reported before, uh, workers at Apple stores have faced massive resistance from their employer at, you know, what is basically one of the richest companies on earth who adopted the same policies as Starbucks, Trader Joe's, all of these companies that are doing this scorched earth anti-union policy. Well, an administrative law judge on Wednesday, June 21st, uh, said that this mega company has broken the law uh, by, quote, coercively interrogating, end quote, their workers about their support for the union and illegally restricting their ability, the ability of workers to post pro-union literature in break rooms. Much like Starbucks, the company ordered managers to illegally remove such literature from non-work areas, despite the NLRA com- clearly stating that this is protected ac- activity. The judge called on Apple to cease and desist its illegal actions of interrogating workers and tearing down union literature. But Apple said, oh, we didn't do anything wrong. We uh, And they plan to appeal and drag this out as long as possible. Basically the same thing that Trader Joe's is, did that we just reported on. Yeah, like... This is one of those stories where the the immediate impact of this particular ruling is going to be next to nothing. But that's not but I, I didn't put it in here for that. It's that unfortunately, thanks to Starbucks's ridiculous PR campaign, we now have a new stage of the union drive period that workers have to overcome, which is the gaslighting phase. Mm-hmm which is where the company has been doing all of this incredibly awful and mostly illegal union busting, but continues to lie to the rest of the world about it, telling everybody that the workers are lying, they're exaggerating, they made stuff up, you know, they, they were asking for it, you know, all the sorts of things you expect. Uh, and, and then just, and just to, to try and muddy the waters with public opinion so that people who are maybe inclined to want to have an excuse to keep going to the Apple store because they like buying stuff from there could be like, well, I heard those things, but then I also heard from the company that well, that wasn't true. So how do you know? And then they just brush it off and they forget about it. That's been, of course, their big thing they wanted to do. And they will still continue to attempt to do that. But there are certain people who, you know, are naive enough that they'll listen to the company's objections. and But actually seeing that finally, for once, an, a judge who is by default on the side of the company has admitted that the company broke the law, that is a valuable and important uh, moment for the union. Because the union now has that to point to, to be like, look, they have been lying the whole goddamn time. And even an administrative law judge says we're telling the truth. So really, when we say all these awful things Apple is doing, you should believe us. Now, of course, people should believe the workers anyway, but they're you know encouraged mm-hmm. by bourgeois ideology not to. And so having this objective, quote-unquote, you know, uh, assessment by a law judge is, I think, going to be very important for the strategy communications-wise, of the union going forward, which is why I think this ruling is very important, even though Apple is undoubtedly going to appeal it and drag it out as long as possible. It's still really good to be able to say, no, they can keep saying whatever bullshit they want. 
They did break the law, and they continue to break the law, and we're going to fight against them, and that's why you should support our union. And yeah, also, and- why are they only being punished with just having to go back to following the law? Yeah, that's, always, like, that's yeah, their punishment. For sure. Yeah. That's yeah, we ridiculous. Can't, we can't overstate that enough. You're right. That like the companies are no there's no actual repercussions for these companies when they do this sort of things because if they suddenly have to start following the law, uh that's not a punishment. Well, and, and it, I think it's especially galling when these are the exact same things that so many other companies have been so recently very clearly ruled against in in courts like amazon specifically was doing all this shit during the alu drive and they got hit multiple times for doing illegal shit and that actually forced them to allow organizers into the break room during uh when they're off their shifts which actually played a role in helping the drive succeed and so like it's just so wild where like the Amazon goes before the judge and they're like, yeah, you uh, took down all this shit illegally. You uh, interrogated workers about, you can't do that anymore. It's illegal. Uh, it, you, you were breaking the law, but then another company does it. And then they just go to court again and they do the same thing. There's no additional punishment ever because it's all just, well, labor law doesn't actually have punishment. It's just, you might have to come to a judge and be scolded lightly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, to hear from the secretary treasurer of the CWA, Sarah Steffens, uh, what she said about this was, quote, what Apple executives are doing is wrong and we have your back and we will hold them accountable, end quote. And I think that that's good that CWA is standing strong against Apple, who has a really strong hold over America and the world, really. Yeah, I mean, what other company might be able to, like, realistically, in any sense of the word, think for a moment they could get people to pay $3,500 for ski goggles that make you kind of look like you're doing Minority Report that no one else can see? But, Dan, these are the innovators who brought you, what if a computer was kind of round? (laughs) And twice as expensive for no reason. Yeah, what if it was shiny and white? (laughs) incredible what if we took a bunch of features out yeah what if it didn't run games anyway (laughs) (laughs) all right the airing of grievances against apple is now complete to move on to our next story (laughs) uh we i wanted to just do a real quick check-in on how things are going with the teamsters because as i'm sure our listeners are well aware we're we're deep in the negotiations between the international brotherhood of teamsters and the United Parcel Service, over what could be in one month's time the biggest strike in the United States in all of our lifetimes with potentially 340 or 350, I keep seeing both those numbers cited, thousand workers. The uh, Pentagon lost 10,000 UPS drivers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be RFK's new big issue, is like saying he's going to make the Pentagon account for the 10,000 missing UPS workers. Why does he exist? Why is there a jacked Kennedy with a fucked up voice saying the craziest shit I ever heard in my life? (laughs) He's also got the biggest disconnect between like f- visual amount of muscles and his ability to do anything with them. I don't know if you yeah. saw that incline press, but that was yeah. the most pathetic thing I've seen in the world. Anyway, <laughs> back to the Teamsters. So, uh, you know, we have the big strike looming on August 1st. And so an update on that is that the the Teamsters decided to prioritize in their big negotiations, they wanted to get all the non-economic issues 
as they've, they've labeled them all, out of the way first. And now the big story that we talked about before was the fact that one of the big wins here was that the union was able to win a tentative agreement requiring the company to add a C to all new vehicles and to retrofit all existing ones to ensure a safe temperature for drivers and loaders, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And as summarized by Secretary-Treasurer Fred Zuckerman, quote, We've reached tentative agreement on well over 40 non-economic issues that affect all our members at UPS, and we did it as a team. The Teamsters haven't sacrificed a single concession in these negotiations. The fun part now begins to fight for significant wage increases for everyone. Full-timers, part-timers, long-timers, everyone. End quote. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I am very excited. Also, 40 non-economic issues with no concessions. These motherfuckers are like heavy hitters. Like they, they know how to negotiate and I'm very impressed. Yeah. And I mean, I will say like, you know, there, people will always say they got no concessions, but I also haven't seen like everything that I've seen coming out of this from the negotiations has just been win, 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 win for Mm -hmm. the union. So, um, but now we come to the big money. Uh, now it's bargaining over wages, over benefits, over pensions, and over tiers. So, you know, this is where the gloves come off in the negotiations. Uh, and so, of course, the Teamsters have been very, very explicit about several key issues which they will not bargain over. And specifically... Right. The only tiers inc- we're going to see are from the company. That's right. Uh, and so, of course, as like as we mentioned at the very top of that list is the elimination of two-tiered wage structures, which were created in the, quote, 22.4 provision. So if you see that number thrown around, it's the name of like the contract subparagraph, I believe, that created this hybrid position that, that does a lot of the same work as full-timers, but doesn't get any of the same benefits. And so... It, the the that was included in the last contract that was rammed through undemocratically by the Jimmy Hoffa Jr. Uh, leadership, who were then thrown out of office for doing that. Uh, and so, yeah, eliminating that position has been a big point on the campaign by the Teamsters to start with, but also fighting for better wages for everyone, especially part-time warehouse workers uh, who are facing, you know, the brunt of the high-paced, physically taxing, and often dangerous work of sorting and loading the millions of packages the company handles all across the country. And so negotiations began last week on Wednesday with the Teamsters first presenting their proposal, basically for the best contract that they've had to with significant raises for all workers and, of course, the elimination of tiers. Uh, and <laughs> UPS also provided their counterproposal, which shortly thereafter leaked, which is a terrible counterproposal. But before I get to the worst part of it, I will say I think it's very notable that even in UPS's initial counterproposal, which you always know is going to be terrible, like the company's initial offer, even in that offer, they eliminated the 22.4 position because they clearly understand that the teamsters are not fucking around when they say they will not accept a contract that has tears in it. So even when they're putting forth a contract, they know the union will not accept because it's bad. They know enough to be like, all right, well don't put the, don't leave the tier thing in there. Cause we know we're not going to keep that. <laughs> well, the teamsters have not been quiet about this either. I mean, it's been in official documents. It's been Sean O'Brien all over Twitter. It's been in his speeches. It's been in, I mean, you hear the teamsters membership talking about it. Like they're, they're very, very motivated and well-educated about what they want out of this contract. Also, I think what that really also shows is, you know, like you're saying, the power, but 
they're starting from a weaker position. This is like the company starting from a weaker position, which is something that, you know, we have sometimes levied critiques at unions for being like, oh, no, we don't think we're going to get it, so we're not going to ask for as high of a number. And we're like, no, you need to ask for the big number because then if you do have to come down from that, you're coming down to a much more reasonable position. Well, at this point, the company is the one who is on the back foot, and Mm -hmm. you'll love to see it. Well... They are on that point, but they did try a very aggressive move on the wage increases because their proposal for the raises that workers would get in exchange Uh -uh. for eliminating the two tiers was a whopping 50 cents. 50 cents a year. I it mean, was, it might it, as well have been. It was fucking <laughs> disgusting. Well, then it was like, they, they were like, this year, 56 cents. This year, 47 cents. And then they were like, these are split between July and April. Yeah. <laughs> what? It was like, it is the year 2023. We are not accepting wage raises in cents Mm-mm. anymore. <laughs> like, that's no. not... No one should be accepting that. Like, I, like obviously, the minimum wage should be $25, and you're, like, the lowest raise you should ever see should be in dollar increments. But, like, yeah, just... And there was actually a really great video. Um, some uh, members of the PSL went and interviewed folks in... Uh, some Teamster workers in Philly after the leak of that proposal, and there were some pretty good responses from some of the workers there. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's... On the one hand, it's great to see that the company acknowledges that they're not going to come out of this with tears intact, no matter how this goes. But it's also showing that there's going to be... The next month is going to be interesting. (laughs) I'll put it that way. There's a a long way for UPS to come to get to a reasonable contract. And with a 97% strike authorization, the company has to know that should a strike occur, they're not going to (laughs) win. No. And so I think they would be well advised to bargain with the Teamsters now and frankly just accept whatever the Teamsters want rather than lose out on the millions and millions and millions of dollars they will lose out on even like a one-day nationwide UPS strike. Well, and what's frustrating about that is that even if the company internally is basically like, all right, at some point we are eventually just going to fold because we're shit scared of a strike, they still are definitely going to push it up to probably the last few hours before they actually yeah. sign off on a contract agreement. I also wonder, why is it that they put it in a flat rate? Like, that was really interesting to me. I haven't seen that in very many contracts where they're like, oh, yeah, the number is 55 cents or whatever it is. Instead of percentages? Yeah, instead of a percentage, because generally percentages are easier to uh, tie to inflation and are more based on, like, if you've been there longer, you make more money, and therefore that right. percentage means yeah. more to you. And if it's just a flat rate, like that's a that's a what do you call it? It's like a regressive system mm-hmm. for the higher paid workers. Yeah, it's it's there's a reason why banks charge compounding interest, and uh, workers should charge compounding wages from their <laughs> employers. I love it. But yeah, so that's where we're at. We've got another month to go uh, of negotiations. So, uh, you know, keep your eyes on the UPS strike. And and as we get closer to that August 1st date, definitely, uh, you know, everybody who's listening should look up where your your customer care center is 
for the UPS because that's where probably where the pickets will be, and you'll want to know where that is if the strike kicks off. And that's there is one right. near you. That's kind of the point <laughs> <Yes>. of UPS. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, unless you are listening to this from McMurdo Station in Antarctica, yeah. there is a UPS customer care center somewhere near you. <laughs> well, and speaking of care... I guess. That's right. That's a little transition, I guess. Uh, We're going to talk about some nurses in Oregon. So after about eight months of attempting to bargain with their bosses with little success, on Monday, June 19th, 1,800 nurses with the Oregon Nurses Association hit the picket lines. These nurses work for West Coast Providence at three of their facilities, uh, Providence Portland, Providence Seaside, and Providence Home Health and Hospice. Workers have been negotiating with Providence trying to secure the same primary goals that we've seen every single nurses union across the country, especially things like safe staffing levels to ensure there's enough nurses to provide patients the care they need. In a statement reported by the KATU Local News, nurse Linda Radcliffe explained what the nurses are fighting for, saying, quote, Our nurses are overwhelmed by the numbers they're trying to care for now. We all become nurses to take good care of people, not just okay care of people. So I feel for our fellow nurses that they probably do drive away from the hospital with a sense of failing their patients, end quote. And that that's kind of heartbreaking because it's probably very true when you're con- incredibly overstaffed or I mean understaffed and you know you have oh and overworked to be like wow I had a bad interaction with someone and I literally couldn't do anything about it and like they care a lot about these people but well and yeah and I mean I think a lot of people can certainly empathize with the feeling of you know never being able to catch up like when you're at work mm-hmm. where you're just like mm-hmm. okay they all right, they piled all this on me yesterday. I'm going to take care of that now, and then I'm going to you know, rush through these things, and I'm going to catch up, and then I'll be on track. And, of course, you know that never really happens because they never really bring in enough people or, or take their foot off the gas enough to actually let you catch a breather. But it's one thing when it's like you're at the office, and that's like you're writing some fucking you know, performance report, or it's you're doing a million other things. It's another different thing when the, the thing you can't catch up on is the health of patients at a healthcare facility. Yeah. It's a, it's a different set of stakes that they're dealing with. Well, and I mean, Providence made clear that they're not going to negotiate in good faith because for the first day of the strike, they already had hundreds of scab travel nurses available to, you know, take over these positions. This alone should justify a ULP uh, for bad faith bargaining, as it shows they never had any desire to bargain fairly in the first place. The company has learned leaned heavily on PR speak to kind of hide their contempt for the unionized nurses with spokesperson Jennifer Gentry telling Gentry. report. <laughs> no, I'm that. just laughing at it. I'm sorry. The last <laughs> names have been on fire this episode. Right? <laughs> uh, they, yeah, d- uh, d- Jennifer aristocrat telling reporters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, I think it's important that the strike concludes that we come back to the table and are able to negotiate a fair contract and move into healing and reconciliation, end quote. 
Look, Shut up. Let's just let's just get past this whole dispute thing, and then we can all be friends again. Hooray. Yeah, like, we're gonna hold hands and walk across hot stones together. Shut up. <laughs> Fuck you. Like, no, no. Like, I get that you're a little sad, but what about labor peace? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. This uh, this whole thing is super frustrating for me for a bunch of reasons. One of which is that it makes it very difficult for me to Google this because I live in Providence, Rhode Island, and the name of this company is Providence Health, mm-hmm. and they are not in Rhode Island, and that just makes it very confusing. But more, much more importantly, <laughs> we have seen this so many times. This is, this is every single nursing strike. Like I feel like people are going to listen, oh, it's a nursing strike? I can skip ahead because I know what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, well, if you Be- know what's going to happen, then you know another big issue is that these nurses are required to see way more patients at once than they should mm-hmm. be. So um, nurses uh, told reporters for KATU that if they wanted to provide a typical standard of good care, they would see a maximum limit of four patients per nurse, but that they routinely see six, seven, or even more patients at a time. And this overwork, of course, not only hurts the nurses as they are run completely ragged trying to keep up with their patients' needs, but it also lessens the quality of care that each patient receives, increasing the risk of adverse health outcomes, and in some way, defeating the point of a hospital. So (laughs) the nurses' concern for their patients is so high that they've even taken the step of slightly undercutting their own leverage by announcing in advance their strike would only last five days. And while this will still be very impactful it allows the company to plan to to plan to limit the impact providence has also stated that they intend to punish workers for striking by removing offers they'd made earlier from the table so basically you have the nurses who are saying like we're really interested in making sure that we limit the impact that this is going to have on the patients because we're good people in addition to being struggling workers. And the company's like, oh, bet we're horrible goblins and we will use that as an excuse <laughs> to fuck you even harder. Yeah, and and there and it's I didn't put the quote in here because it was just so annoying, but like their justification for that too is so scoldy and whiny. It's like, look, when we started negotiating, we've had all these offers and it was of course contingent on not having any, you know, industrial disruptions in the workplace. But we were just trying to make sure we continued having the maximum, you know, best care for the workers. Now that's not a quote. So don't say that that like, that's what they actually said, but that's essentially what they were implying. Uh, and and they continue, like every other one of these healthcare companies, to lie through their teeth about profitability, claiming that they can't afford to raise nurses' wages or hire more staff, despite the fact that a different local news agency, KOIN, uh, noted that Providence CEO Rod Hawkman made $10 million last year and 25 different Providence executives all made over $1 million. So there's $35 million you can just ha- cut right there wow. without hurting a single patient because I can assure you right now that getting rid of those executives and distributing that salary money to hire more nurses and maybe give the rest of them a raise – uh, we'll only have positive outcomes for the patients and not a single negative one. I bet if all of those executives just like suddenly died in a plane crash or something, the patients wouldn't even notice until they saw it on the news. Just no, saying. I, I mean, yeah, the CEO <laughs> c- could have been the guy on the fucking submarine and they wouldn't have noticed any, <laughs> any difference. But like <sighs> the fact that the company continues 
to spend huge sums on travel and contract nurses, not just as strike breakers, but normally as part of their standard business procedure for maintaining staffing levels at the facility, just shows that they find breaking up the solidarity of the workers more important to them than their bottom line. Because, again, it costs more money to hire each individual travel nurse. But the reason companies do it is that travel nurses are not going to organize because they are temporary mobile employees. And oftentimes, these places are specifically set up to disrupt organizing drives, as I'll get to in just a second. And so, like, again, all of this reveals this conception of, Oh, you know, we're, we would love to give our nurses more money and hire more people, but healthcare is just so expensive. We just can't do it. Lie every single time. (laughs) So like, but, and the reason that I mentioned how frustrating all this is, is because the workers did what they said they were going to do. They struck for five days and then they ended their strike. When they had their, when they f- finished the strike, they had a press conference at which they specifically said they would be asking the Oregon Attorney General to investigate Providence Health for criminal charges because Oregon actually has a state law which makes it illegal for an employer to import professional strike breakers in the middle of a strike mm-hmm. into Oregon from a- another state. And the 475 travel nurses that, that, the the Providence Health hired were primarily from a company called U.S. Nursing Corporation, which is a travel nurse provider which specifically advertises on their website as being, quote, turnkey staffing solutions during labor disputes, Uh-oh. end quote. <laughs> Smoking so gun. Like, uh, <laughs> sounds to me like you hired professional strike breakers, which is explicitly illegal in Oregon, uh, Providence Health. Especially, the funny thing is, because there's so there's loopholes a mile wide in that sort of language that if you like bothered to care, <laughs> like you could easily get around. But again, they clearly didn't, and most likely, even if they're convicted, they won't face anything but a fine. But it again goes to show that the workers are operating in good faith here. They've said all along exactly what they their needs are and what they're willing to do, and they've stuck to it the whole time. Whereas the company has done nothing but lie to everyone, not only the workers, but to the public and to the patients. And that is just one of the things that, to me, about nursing strikes is just so enraging because it's like, it, theoretically, everyone involved here wants to see the right outcome, but one side keeps throwing a fucking wrench into everything because they only want to see the patients get better if the bottom line goes up at the same time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I mean, our for-profit healthcare system is a, a criminal organization of organized abandonment. Yeah, absolutely. And so in a statement, the union said, quote, by their own admission, Providence refuses to address short staffing and patient safety concerns in the hospitals, not to mention the excessive caseload requirements placed on nurses and clinicians working in patient homes, end quote. And yeah, like to, to that exact point, Lena, like this is a unresolvable contradiction in the whole conception of private health care. Like that, private health care is an oxymoron because the profit motive prevents any privately run health organization from being run with the primary goal of keeping people safe and giving people the best health outcomes possible because that cannot simultaneously happen with your primary goal being maximizing profit at the same time because at some point, the best way to help out your patients is not going to be the most cost-effective one. And so it's just, you you cannot bring those two things together and have them function. It is like one of the reasons why even if you are a liberal, 
You should want nationalized healthcare because otherwise you may be the next victim of cost cutting. I think especially if you're a liberal, because then you might not be smart enough to ask for anything else after. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, also, I think even like petite bourgeois tend to have an incentive to do that in that like they don't want to have to do insurance yeah plenty of small business owners don't want to have to get insurance for their employees either Mm -hmm. i mean uh, just to just to kind of step outside for a sec genuinely that is a united front issue that uh, socialist organizers can have with members of the petty bourgeoisie especially like small business owners who work themselves Now, now granted there's plenty of small business tyrants we're never going to come on board to this. But that's an area where we can split some people away from the bourgeoisie's, you know, hegemonic alliance is by pointing out to like less exploitative small business owners like, you know how you have to spend all that money on healthcare and the big corporations it's not a big deal for them. You know if there was Medicare for all, you wouldn't have to pay for any of that. Yeah. Like that's that's a way you can bring people in to good ideas. Now that's not saying you put those people in any sort of leadership whatsoever. But you want to build a united front, and that's one area that we could go after. So or, at least get the, personal... or at least get the bourgeoisie at each other's throats about some issues sure. that you're yes. all already agreed on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I have some personal experience in this and that. Like, I've got a family member with a business, and I was like, you know, wouldn't it be better if your workers had health care that was taken care of? that you didn't have to worry about you didn't like even if it cost like the same amount overall like you wouldn't have to do all the administrative work and then you would mm-hmm. also just not have to that would save you money in administrative work like i mean it's it's simple and it was like a very easy conversation i, I don't know it's not it's so not this, all that often that you get to have a nice easy dollars and cents conversation but they're fun uh, <laughs> yeah a- absolutely so this has been our uh, organizing corner <laughs> true, true. All right, well, moving on to a story that has special significance to me. We're going to talk about uh, workers in Erie, Pennsylvania at Wabtec who are fighting for their right to strike. And this story has special significance to me because back in the early days of Beep Beep Lettuce, somebody hopped in our Discord. I think there was actually a big push from the Bernie Sanders campaign encouraging people to come to this rally. And uh, I went there and interviewed some of the striking workers, and I was kind of like, oh, Oh, this labor stuff is actually kind of like way cooler than political parties. Um, so, but we're talking about the workers in Erie. These are members of UE Local 506. There's about a thousand of them, and they're working at a plant that was previously owned by GE for over 80 years before Wabtec took it over in 2019. And under their previous employer, GE, the union had a clear grievance process. Uh, so, if grievances weren't resolved after a three step process of meeting with increasingly senior managers, so they try to resolve it at the lowest level, workers were permitted to strike to force a resolution. In the 15 years leading up to Webtech's takeover of the company, they only ever found it necessary to strike four times, and each time only for a matter of hours. So that lets you know how effective this conflict resolution process was. Uh, Wabtec's contract, however, uh, with UE, removed this measure to disastrous effect. So speaking on a conference call Wednesday, forgive me for this name, Leo Gregorzweski, Gregor... 
Gregor Zhushki? Gregor Zhushki? It might be Gregor Shevsky, actually. Yeah, probably Leo Gregor Shevsky. That's how we're rolling. Local 506 chief steward at the plant said that annual grievances have more than doubled under Wabtec, and only 3% of grievances are settled in the first two meetings with the company. They subsequently reject... Wabtec subsequently rejects 95% of the uh, grievances that reach the third and final step. After that, the only remaining tool for the union is to go to arbitration, which costs them about $9,000 per case. And with more than 30 cases in a typical month, these costs reach into the hundreds of thousands 12 times a year. So this contract expired June 9th, and the membership has responded with an extremely high level of activity. Damn, that's like that's like $3 million a year. The yeah. arbitration charges based on those averages. That's ridiculous. It's and I mean a lot of money. Clearly, it is in the company's interest to make the union pay all that money. Like well well, I mean, yeah, I mean if you if you just spread it out like cuz this is about 1000 workers or so that are on strike right now. And so to spread that out over 1000 that's $3000 a year. Now, obviously, of course, you can pull from workers in the UE who aren't at that plant, mm-hmm. but then you have those workers subsidizing this one, and this work, this plant is using all of their dues fund, <laughs> and that's too much money. That's way too much money for dues. Yeah, like that. Yeah, it's it's unworkable. It's it, so, and it's yeah, it's a it's a great system for the company because it forces the union to say we genuinely cannot fight all of these grievances. We have to pick and choose, and that is a really great way for the company to get the union to fight amongst itself. Because now you're saying we cannot possibly afford to take mm-hmm. all of these to arbitration. So we have to pick which are the most important. And of course, in a democratically run union like the UE, they'll decide that democratically and you're more likely to have a better outcome. And that certainly helps the UE here. But it's the sort of thing where, you know, even if democratically your election, your uh, like, uh, grievance was chosen under a totally reasonable and logical understanding of why it's not the most important. And that's why you're not going to spend the $9,000 on the grievance on it. I could still see people being like, look, I get why we picked that, but that still fucking sucks. And the thing that I, that I was dealing with still hasn't been resolved. And mm-hmm. so this is a great system for the company and yeah. a horrible system for the union. Well, and, I mean, and they- I think that maybe even then, I don't think that UE is doing that sort of austerity and they actually are doing the cost for each one of these arbitration cl- cases. Well, and the the membership has really, I think, uh, encapsulated it with some very uh, flavorful language. One of the flyers that they distributed read, quote, over the past four weeks, UE locals 506 and 618 have attempted to patiently bargain and convey the needs of our members in good faith with the goal to get a fair contract. Meanwhile, the company has done everything to raise the temperature in the plant. And I mean, that's exactly that stress that you're talking about there where you're, you know, you're worried about how much money you're spending on arbitration. You're worried about about like which ones are actually worth pursuing and that's got to create a really high sense of stress and so it's really reassuring to see that the workers are like they're just trying to raise the temperature on us like don't be fooled by this um so hours before that contract actually expired on the 9th, Webtech also informed local 506 president Scott Slauson that it was considering permanently subcontracting out 275 union jobs, so over a quarter of the jobs, which members quite reasonably read as a threat. 
And then Slauson talked, yes. to, <laughs> talked to Alex Press for Jacobin, saying, quote, We deal with an employer that negotiates with threats and that has to be taken into consideration. It's difficult to negotiate with somebody when they put a gun to your head rather than looking you in the eye, end quote. And shortly after that, with less than an hour until the contract expired and a federal mediator brought in by that point, the union's executive board agreed to a 24-hour contract extension to allow for an additional day of bargaining. That following day, the board announced a vote on Wabtec's final offer where a no vote would result in a strike. By 6 p.m. on June 22nd, Wabtec had their answer. Uh, The contract that they were offered is bogus, and it was voted down (laughs) overwhelmingly. Workers immediately went to the union hall for picket line supplies and began to strike. Uh, (laughs) That just... I gotta say, (laughs) underused descriptor to denigrate something. Bogus. (laughs) Bogus. Very good word. (laughs) I also love that these workers were like, uh, we voted it no, we are immediately going to get our signs. (laughs) Like, don't waste any time. Well, and I think this is a case where, you know, the UE's long history... Of, of commitment to internal democracy and critically, because we don't always see this even when there are more democratic unions, consistent political education about labor rights, about labor law, about how negotiations happen. Just Even just, you know, ha- talking about what's going on in the Starbucks strike, mm-hmm. even if it's not to do with it. Just because that then makes folks prepared. Like, you know, you ta- the, the, the workers that were interviewed, weren't, you know, phased by what was going on and they were able to be prepared and to immediately turn out on the picket line the moment the strike was authorized. Exactly. So they have quite a few different priorities going on in this strike. There is the aforementioned grievance system that they would like reinstated. But one of the other big issues they're focusing on is making the switch to renewable energy in their industry. So we heard from local 506 president Scott Slauson again, uh, according to ueunion.org this time, saying, quote, building green locomotives is essential to the future of our country and will benefit the local economy here in Erie. Unfortunately, Wabtec's unwillingness to work with us to resolve problems, either through the grievance process or through contract negotiations, is a major impediment to that bright future, end quote. He also denounced the company's announcement during bargaining that they are considering moving at least 275 jobs out of the plant. Uh, He said, quote, while the union is working hard to bring new work into the plant and new jobs to Erie through our green locomotive project, the company is refusing to work with us on this project and is instead holding the community of Erie hostage with the threat of moving work. We will not give in to their blackmail. End quote. And I got to say, I had never heard of this Scott Slauson guy before, but I like him. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple things yes. about this that really stand out to me. For one, it is the like actual like I'm we're not going to back down. But more so, it is the idea that the workers are taking the direction of the business into their own hands. Mm hmm. They are saying we need to be doing a green energy initiative for these locomotives and the company is being intransigent about it. We know the stakes. They're not going to implement it until we make them. And that is the truth. 
Yeah, and they have really progressive ideas for how to do this green transition too because they're the union doesn't just represent production employees actually working on the locomotives. They also have members who work in the rail yards and these workers face the brunt of the industry's deleterious health effects and the union has a plan to alleviate that as well. So they're calling for zero emissions technologies in the actual rail yards and upgrading the long-haul route locomotives to something called Tier 4 emission standards, which is a significantly better emission standard than the wildly outdated locomotive technology we use in the United States right now. Yeah. And like, while I'm personally quite skeptical of the whole concept of a green locomotive project as an engineer, I personally think that electrification is the answer and that's why it's been done everywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. Regardless of that, um, this is though yet another example that we've seen of the duplicitousness of the Biden administration, because how many examples have we seen over and over again? You know, the, the, the Inflation Reduction Act was supposed to be, you know, this is the biggest investment in doing something about climate change in U.S. history, even though it's a drop in the fucking bucket and also uh, actually, I think, is net worse for the, the environment than it is better because it authorizes things like the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Anyways, but even for the stuff where it is supposed to be pouring investment, into new green technologies. And again, because it's part of a bill from the supposedly most pro-union president in history and all this other hogwash, is like it was supposed to come with the requirement that these be good union jobs. But of course, that got watered down. We're not going to demand they be union jobs because this is America and the ruling class always has always thought that the clothes shop was the greatest threat to liberty ever. Um... But it's not even like requiring that the companies don't union bust. It only requires that they not use those funds they got as subsidies to union mm -hmm. bust. They're all more than uh, capable of using the money that they got by extracting surplus value out of their workers and exploiting them to the do that while on the same project as money that they got these funds for. Yeah, or the money they just had laying around already that is now subsidized by the money that they just got. Like, I don't understand how you can say we're giving you money, but you can't spend this money on union busting, but you can spend your own money on union busting, even though you have more money now because we gave you money. It makes no fucking right. sense. Like, And even, like, I will, this is, like, something I'll give that Sean Fain at the UAW credit for is just last week, he called out, you know, the Biden administration, who the UAW has conspicuously not endorsed, mm -hmm. like, one of the very few major unions to have so far withheld their uh, endorsement, although I imagine they probably will eventually endorse Biden. Um and he was he didn't really mince words and came out and was just like, you said that you were going to spend all this money and make sure that it was spent on good union jobs. And then you just gave, I think it was Ford, it might be one of the other big three, don't pull me to it, but like $9 billion mm -hmm. as just a blank check. They're not required to negotiate in good faith with the UAW on how that is spent. It, they're not required to commit to stop union busting. They're not required to you know do neutrality at any of these new plants, like for instance, the Clarios battery plant that just went on strike. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's been really refreshing to see a major union president call people out like that but this is again another in the long line of these things where the biden administration says one thing and then does the complete opposite of it yeah well and getting that kind of investment in the nation or in your communities is another big part of like what these workers at WabTech are actually trying to like 
fight for. One of the things they pointed out is that there was a recent report from the Political Economy Research Institute at University of Massachusetts Amherst, which found that the production of green locomotives at the Erie plant could bring thousands of new high-quality jobs to northwest Pennsylvania, which has been hit extremely hard by deindustrialization. Anybody who's ever lived in western Pennsylvania can tell you that just from having looked, having had their eyes open while they were there. Um, so... Well, I. <laughs> I also like, I'm sure they are making these threats that, oh, we're going to move these jobs. Mm -hmm. Outsourcing a percentage of them to another company in the U.S., maybe. But the whole idea, oh, we're going to move our production of locomotives? Yeah, I said No, you're not. There's like less than a half a dozen (laughs) companies in the U.S. that make locomotives. You're not moving your factory. Shut up. Right. Well, so just all in all, in response to the company's pressure, the union has shown a very high level of militancy, situational awareness, and a total lack of hesitancy to strike at the appropriate times and in the most effective manner. So I think they're setting a really good example uh, on how to conduct yourselves when employers try to erode and undermine your gains in the workplace, especially Especially if those are gains that you have had for the better part of a century that were undermined in living memory. Yeah, absolutely. Love, love uh, to see these workers fighting, not just, you know, for their jobs, but really for the right to strike itself, like mm-hmm. as part of their contract, because most like this is not the only place with a bullshit grievance procedure. In fact, I'm sure actually the UE is probably handling this a lot more diligently than some other places. Uh, but that like, you know, Making it so that you can't strike during the contract, having a shitty grievance procedure that's impossible to resolve all those issues, so they all pile up, so they can then clearing those grievances, which previously would have just been handled by a quickie strike on the shop floor. You have, you know, a quick work stoppage, boss relents, you deal with it, you move forward. Now, you may have hundreds of these piled up by the time you get to contract. And then they use that as leverage. And they say, we can make all these go away right now. You just agree to a slightly smaller raise and we'll resolve all these grievances. And so it just it just hurts workers not to be able to resolve shop floor issues with shop floor strikes. And so it's really great to see the UE fighting for this. That's right. So moving from one big strike of workers in, you know, a green technology industry to another strike in a, in a modern industry, this time, though, digital media, we're going to talk about the strike at Insider, uh, who, which we unfortunately were not able to cover as it mostly happened while we were on our very brief break. Uh, but so Insider, which a lot of people may think of as Business Insider, but it's like it's that website and also some other, you know, assets alongside of it, um, has become, you know, a digital media platform that a lot of people rely on as a, as a source of news in a ever shrinking news landscape, at least where they actually have reporters that they pay instead of just, you know, using chat GPT to turn out bullshit. Um, but like so many media companies, they don't want to actually, you know, pay their workers. <laughs> and so on Friday, June 2nd, 250 staff members at the business news outlet walked out on strike after the company refused to meet their demands for adequate health care. And when the strike kicked off, News Guild of New York president Susan DiCarava said, quote, Many members now are paying hundreds more for essential medications and healthcare, while insider executives pocket the savings. I am proud to support guild members who refuse to allow overcompensated executives to line their pockets at workers' expense, end quote. And 
this is yet another one where we got, you know, the company crying poverty. Although in this case, it being a digital media outlet, that would be a little more believable. Uh, except if it weren't for the fact that their CEO was also still extremely wealthy. So uh, Henry Blodgett, who's the CEO at Insider, immediately came out and said, quote, some companies in our economy are so spectacularly profitable that they could and should share more, but Insider is not among them. (laughs) What do you run a diner? Fuck you. And he, of course, also then like took this annoyingly condescending line that they'd all, we just don't make enough money. And then third-partied the union, claiming that the workers had been manipulated into voting for the strike by an outside force, which is apparently an extremely effective outside force because 94% of the workers voted in favor of striking. Was it, wow. was the, did the Holy Ghost compel them? Like, what was the deal? <laughs> <laughs> Because that's one of the other things, though, that like with this whole idea of third partying the union, they're outside agitators. I'm like, well, then why does everyone agree with them? This <laughs> is like, like this at a is, certain point, that charge loses any power. Yeah. This also reminds me of like people who are like, everybody hates insert socialist country. And then you pull the country and they actually really like their government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so <laughs> one of the things, though, that probably pissed off CEO. Henry Blodgett and why he was so quick to respond to the strike is that one of the tactics that the workers chose to to use is that they posted his cell phone number in the employee Slack channel and encouraged (laughs) members to politely ask him, and they did say politely, to ask him to bargain with the union over their ULP charges against the company. (laughs) So I have to imagine he got quite a few emails. Hell yeah. I would have put his phone number on a How's My Driving sticker on my car and then drove like an (laughs) asshole. So they did better than me. Um, And so... As we sort of mentioned, like a, a key part of this dispute was all about healthcare because the company had unilaterally decided to switch the workers' healthcare from United Healthcare to Cigna without any input from the union. And now, of course, both of these companies are terrible and should not exist. But the switch from one private health insurer to another caused many members of the insider union to see their prescription drug uh, costs soar through the roof. Uh, and this is all happening at the same time that the union was negotiating with the company over proposed layoffs. Because back in April, the company proposed cutting 60 jobs in order to, you know, uh, save their profit margins. Uh, the union was able to bargain that down to 44 jobs, saving 16 jobs in the process. And a majority of those uh, who were pushed out of the company uh, took retirement packages because they were, you know, getting towards the end of their careers anyway. Uh, but some were still forced to accept severance. So not without pain, but the union made it, you know, less shitty than it, it otherwise would have been. But of course, coming right off the heel of these layoffs where they, they, they were able to save some jobs but still had to see 44 people leave, now the company's just unilaterally changing their healthcare and jacking their, their drug prices up. So... Uh, coming back to those workers right after you did all that bullshit and saying, hey, we know you're mad that now your prescriptions cost two or three times as much, but look, journalism's a tough game, thin profit margins, not much we can do, sorry. Also, it sucks to change change insurance. Like, mm-hmm. like to get everything reauthorized, to have to f- make sure that your doctor is covered, suddenly your therapist is no longer in network. You know, mm-hmm. like that sort of thing. That, that fucking sucks. Yeah, it's terrible. And so the strike 
began on June 2nd, and it stretched into a second week, uh, you know, with clear signs of acrimony appearing between the management and the workers. Uh, The New York Post actually caught editor-in-chief Nicholas Carlson biking around Brooklyn, tearing down uh, posters supporting the strike and stuffing them into his city bag. Now, he claimed that he was not just attacking the union uh, because the flyers that he was taking down uh, were in his own neighborhood. But all the flyers were saying were asking for the CEO and the uh, you know company's head editor, who live in the same neighborhood <laughs> in Brooklyn, to just come back to the table. It's not like, go to this person's house and harass them or something. It was literally just, greedy CEO, boss, stop stonewalling the union, negotiate with them. And then that was so disruptive that he had to go around and tear down all those posters. (laughs) This is, of course, the editor who, meanwhile, in addition to continuing to work through the strike, has also been working as a scab as a writer during the strike as well. So Howard activity. uh, No solidarity whatsoever for any of the writers on that staff. From the, their editor. Yeah, and I bet the articles he writes fucking suck anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, but thankfully, just a couple of days after uh, that dispute was caught by the New York Post, the strike came to an end on its 13th day with workers agreeing to a new contract. The contract includes a $5,000 increase to the salary floor for all new hires, as well as an immediate 3.5% raise for all workers, a total raise of 10% over three years, which is not that high. That would be like okay in a normal uh, non-superinflation year. Uh, Ultimately, probably will still be a pay cut. But it also responded to the company's unilateral change to the healthcare providers with the company agreeing to give all employees $2,200 each year to cover any cost differences between the two providers for the duration of the three-year deal, which deals with the big core issue that the workers were striking for. And all of those changes, including the $5,000 salary floor increase, the company said, oh, we just don't have the money. We can't possibly do that. But then suddenly... Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Turns out they could. Turns out they were lying. Shock every time. Turns out they were lying. So we just wanted to shout out the uh, writers at Insiders for st- for sticking it out. That 13 days, though, you know, it's not the two years that Warrior Met was on strike. That, I believe, I've seen is is actually a record for an online-only digital media platform. So wow, uh, good job by these workers sticking to their guns, staying out there for two weeks, and uh, winning resolution to those healthcare issues. Yeah, absolutely. And just still catching up from that week that we took off, we do have another story that we wanted to talk about. I think it's actually two, but we're gonna. I'm gonna start with this one, uh, where we're gonna talk about Steelworkers Unite or the United Steelworkers, who on Monday, June 5th, officially filed for a union election to represent nearly 7,000 staff workers at the University of Pittsburgh. The USW have been organizing Pitt for years, and this drive has been going on September, since September 2021. They've been going door-to-door and trying to get folks to sign cards. The staff filing for the union... Uh, The staff filing for union representation with the steelworkers are researchers, advisors, scientists, counselors, and a whole gamut of other vital positions to the university. Uh, 3,000 faculty are already unionized, so this victory would bring a 
the total of unionized workers to about 10,000 of Pitt's workforce and all into one big powerful collective. Workers say that they were moved to unionize due to lack of advancement opportunities, low pay, and benefits that suddenly changed without warning. Uh, Hey, look. (laughs) uh, That is a story as old as time or as old as capitalism. Well... Yeah. If successful, this would as old as benefits. This would be the biggest single bargaining unit to win in Pennsylvania in decades. I mean, seven thousand is a pretty huge number. We, That's a big bargaining unit. That would be one if if it's successful. That'll be one of the biggest wins of the year. Probably top five. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, we're definitely hoping they win. We know that they've been organizing for a long time. We have a quote here from a lab manager, Jen. Geckler, I think. Yeah, Geckler Freed, who uh, addressed a rally at the state capitol on Thursday, June 8th, celebrating the election filing, saying, quote, those years of service and loyalty to the university is not reflected in my paycheck, and it's not okay with me. And I know I'm not alone. My colleagues and I on the organizing committee have had a lot of conversations with a lot of staff, and time after time, the same issues arise, end quote. And so they clearly have talked to a lot of the workers, have found out a lot of the issues, and have built a lot of solidarity. I think that we can be a little optimistic about this. I do think it is fitting because, you know, mostly what we've seen as far as organizing on campus has been either UAW or the UE. I mean, there's certainly plenty of others. Of course, AFT with faculty specifically play a huge role, NEA. Um, But for the like non-faculty positions, I feel like we've largely seen UAW or UE. But I got to say, it does just seem pretty fitting to have the steelworkers represent the university in the steel city. So I think that's pretty dope and, and really looking forward to these workers winning and forming, I mean, a 10,000 person, uh, union at the university that fucking would rule. Yeah. So it's awesome. I mean, university of Pittsburgh is an enormous part of the entire city's like economic infrastructure. So seeing a, a huge union like that, there would set a really great precedent for the city. Yeah. Hell yeah. And so just in one final story before we wrap it up and get into the meme review, we've got one last congratulations to throw out there to some workers who unionized while we were on our our brief break. Uh, These are the workers at Western Washington University. And on Tuesday, June 13th, as reported by uh, whose website, The Stand, over 1,100 educational student employees at Western Washington University, who work as TAs, tutors, and research assistants, voted 98% in favor of joining the UAW. (laughs) That's fucking awesome. So this new bargaining unit is actually the largest uh, undergraduate student union, I believe, to be formed this year, and one of the largest purely undergraduate student uh, worker unions in the country. And so... Uh, Karna Ringham, who is a teaching assistant at Western Washington, said, quote, my coworkers and I have to work multiple jobs off campus after class between teaching and on weekends. We know this makes it harder for people to stay enrolled and graduate on time. We're looking forward to the administration working with us to make Western a better place to work so we can improve the quality of education for everyone. And so the workers have already been going through, you know, now that they've easily sailed through their union election with just near unanimity, 
they've already been working to put together what their contract demands are. So they've gone and they've done member surveys to try and poll folks so they can democratically put these together. Uh, key issues they they mentioned that they plan to bargain over are, I mean, these are pretty broad, but also very much the same stuff we've seen from so many uh, workers at academic institutions, whether they be students or faculty or other workers, uh, higher wages, paid leave, protections from wage theft, and fair scheduling. And <laughs> they may soon be joined at the bargaining table as well on campus by another union because 1,500 operational student employees who uh, aren't TAs and tutors but who perform maintenance and clerical work on campus, they are also in the process of signing cards for a union vote right now as well. So we love to see this, love to see more workers joining the union movement in academia, and congratulations to the new undergraduate workers who have successfully unionized at Western Washington University. Hell yeah. And now I think we're caught up, right? That's right. We have now covered every labor news story in the United States in the month of June. That's right. <laughs> it's fucking burger time, everybody. You have eaten your vegetables. <laughs> That's right. Meme review. Hell yeah. Well, our first meme is a one of those like uh, watercolor portraits of Jesus you would see in like your super Christian aunt's house. Um, yeah, it would be so like it's really also, it's big. It's also white Jesus. It's also, it's, yeah, it's white Jesus. And he's face palming a little bit. It's supposed to look holy, but it, he just kind of looks annoyed. And it says, when those five rich people show up at the gates of heaven, and Jesus technically has to let them in, parentheses, the implosion turned them into jelly and they were able to pass through the eye of a needle. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this yeah, they got scrunched. <laughs> there's, there's, I guess there is a, what exception, what is it? Um, loopholes in the, in the contracts of heaven. I don't yeah. know. That's right. A, well, I, a near literal one. I, it's not like you have to actually pass through the eye of a needle to get to It's not a test. It's a metaphor for difficulty. But, you know, that doesn't really make the meme very funny. So, <laughs> Well, and because, of course, we all use the Indiana Jones uh, approach to interpreting uh, religious texts, which is that everything in them is literally true. Yeah, that's correct. Right? <laughs> right. Uh, all of them. Not one of them, everyone. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Even the Book of Mormon. Just kidding. Yeah, okay, not that. <laughs> Our next one is a, uh, we're doing a tweet capture here by uh, at Skittish Prey, who said, when cops ask, quote, do you know why I pulled you over, end quote, it's because they literally can't remember. They pull you over so or they pull over so many people. It all blurs together. Doctors call it cop fog. Take advantage of this by insisting that you pull them over. Ask them why they got out of their vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! As much as though as I could very like very much appreciate the confused look on the cop's face. I don't so much think that the follow-up of extreme violence would, <laughs> would work out that well. Yeah, no, the, that's the thing is this is bad advice because w through their uh, confusion, they get very angry. And uh, unlike Pokemon, they don't hurt themselves in their confusion. They hurt other people. My tip for that's dealing right. with cops is to hire a professional stage magician to install a secret compartment <laughs> under your seat so that when the cop walks up to the parked car, it's mysteriously empty. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so our next meme is just a quick two-panel uh, Futurama meme. You've got Zoidberg up at a, a, a like food stand, just like, just give me something crawling with parasites. <laughs> and then you see him like standing back in a crowd later, munching on the thing that he's been given. <laughs> and it's a Facebook group that's landlord support group. <laughs> yeah. I think in the show, it's a hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure it is. <laughs> but I mean, the, the landlord support group's got way, way more parasites in it than even a hot dog. That's right. That's right. Uh, our next meme is also a tweet, and the tweet reads, What the establishment fears most. And then the image is a portrait of an extremely buff orca <laughs> fist bumping <laughs> a, jolly, a jolly captain in a rowboat. <laughs> <laughs> so. This one may have been overcome in everyone's memories by the submarine <laughs> that got scrunched. But I think that Class War Orcas is a, has, a, has much more life to it long term. <laughs> uh, and so I think the idea of <laughs> having like the most stereotypical old fishermen allying with the orcas to take down the gigantic monopoly fishing companies and all the giant yachts is actually at least what the Mediterranean establishment fears. Yeah, it should also maybe I would uh, spruce this up by putting you watch the land, I'll watch the seas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. Absolutely. And you know, I guess we got lots of tweets in this one cuz this is one by a uh, dripped out trade unionist or at union drip. Uh, it says how I feel when wearing a union pin. And it's an image uh, that also, it's actually an image inside of that tweet that says, got that thing on me. I dare someone to try me. And the thing is someone pulling a Marty, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers emblem out of their pocket. Uh, those and are the Transformers <laughs> that they use to turn into the Power Rangers. So just saying, uh, <laughs> that is basically what a union does. It gives you a cool monocolor suit. <laughs> Well, and specifically, it allows you to transcend the possibilities of what you could achieve by yourself mm -hmm. and work together with a team of your best friends to overcome the forces of evil. So it is actually quite a bit yeah. like being, you know, being in a union and being a power ranger. A union is like thing. a megazord. Thank you for coming <laughs> to my commencement speech. <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, if you want to tell us about your union stories and how you feel like a Power Ranger with your comrades, jump in the Discord and come hang out with us. Tell us those sorts of stories. We love seeing them. You can also support us as an entirely listener-supported show at patreon.com slash workstoppage. We are in the middle of our cybernetics and labor series. It is so interesting and cool. And, I mean, even the if you're skip the previews you don't act, we put decently de long previews in there and there there's some good stuff in there as well if you're just uh trying to get a little taste of it but otherwise you can write us a review somewhere follow us in all the places follow john on twitter at facebook villain follow the pod at work stoppage pod you can listen to beep beep lettuce listen to red game table and as always labor peace is not in our interest and solidarity forever solidarity Solidarity, everybody. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> I fucking that song. That show's theme song. It was so great. <laughs> fucking shreds. <laughs> Seen before.